Welcome to Multi New Media. This is episode 14 for the week of July 27, 2015. Christopher Woodward and Chase Raz join us today to talk about the current state of streaming services and whether or not cable companies realize how troubled the waters are ahead. The audio quality of this episode is lower than normal due to recording while mobile. Apologies in advance. Hi, everybody. I'm Chase Raz, and this is Multi New Media. I may sound a little bit different, and of course, I didn't do my normal intro today, but that is because for the first time ever, uh, we're trying something a little bit different and uh, trying to stay more proactive with the schedule. And that uh, occasionally means recording from inopportune places. Christopher, you're with me today. Christopher Woodward, how are you this evening? I am good, and you sound fine and dandy to me, Chase. Well, now, let's hear it for, for last-minute technological decisions. That's right. You know what? I am looking at some dedicated hardware. This is, again, the first time I've recorded without dedicated hardware, so I don't have a... Um, I don't have a multi-channel mixer here. I don't have a condenser microphone. I don't have all of these things. I'm just using a computer and a headset. Um, but I am looking at some dedicated hardware so that we can do some on-site recording and any type of mobile things if we ever hit a conference or anything like that. So it's it's in the works, but we may just sound a little bit uh, less high quality. May, we, I, dare I say, we may sound a little bit podcast-ish this episode. But it's okay, because as long as you can hear us, I mean, that's really what matters. So We're not a podcast. Mm. See, everybody on the back end knows that. The listeners, if you're listening through the back catalog and hearing this, you don't know the big deal we, that I make about that. But yeah, we are an audio show, and I so um, we may sound a little bit podcastish, though. But today, we want to talk about something near and dear to this uh, heart of streaming communications. Not so much the telephony or the uh, voice over IP side, but what about television? Right? What about IPTV? Where are streaming services at right now? And uh, Christopher, thank you for joining me today. I know it takes some time out of your, your family life uh, to do this. I know you're at home with your, your kids right now, or at least hopefully you are. And I, So I appreciate you being here with me today. Let's talk about streaming TV services. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think what, what you have to recognize about streaming television, and just to kind of, I guess, give it a, a historical tinge for a moment here, is that for a long, long time, television in the U.S. and in North America followed a fairly simple model. You had the major networks and you had local channels. They were pretty much your, your gatekeepers. They distributed programming. And then you had the studios, uh, and they pretty much produced your company, your, 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 your content that was put out there. So it was very simple for years. You had broadcast, over-the-air television, you had people producing content, and that's the way it worked. Cable changed things. And by cable, I'm not referring to the initial cable of the 40s, which just delivered broadcast signals. I'm referring, of course, to what we commonly think of as cable, the boom in the 70s and 80s, adding subscription revenues to the mix, kind of fragmenting audiences a little bit. If you had cable, you could see things that someone without cable could not see. Pay channels rise up, but it was still very much... People developed programs in studios, and then the channels, the networks distributed them. Now we've entered this new age of TV where distribution has kind of been devalued. 
uh, and new models for programming have evolved, and a big part of that are these streaming services where, where TV is, TV as we know it is really morphed into something totally different. And, uh, and a big part of it is this now streaming model. And, you know, you constantly hear buzz term, you know, cut the cable and things like that. But we're really entering the beginning of an era now where streaming services for television have become more and more user-friendly, more and more easy for the average consumer to, quote-unquote, install and use. And the result is really a change in how people are viewing television. And you have to be a fool not to see the way that this is kind of disrupting the business models and causing people to rethink everything from how they produce programming to how it's distributed to how the audience is actually watching it. Uh, so it's really, I mean, we can jump in at any point here with all these different things going on. Uh, but I think, to me, the most interesting aspect is it's changing the way the consumers themselves are viewing the content. And for a business model that, you know, advertising-based, subscription-based was always more about watching it as it happens, streaming is kind of like the next step after the DVR, where now you have people binge-watching programming, people waiting for whole seasons to complete. I mean, there's just so much that has changed in the last several years when it comes to how people are receiving their content over the medium that we blanket statement call television. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've just thrown so much goodness at us right there, and you started with the history of it a little bit. And one thing that I don't think is very well known, and, and you really alluded to this, when we go back a couple of decades, it was you had the production studios who made the content, and then you had the distribution networks, these broadcasts, your ABCs and NBCs and CBSs of the world. And I'm, I'm being U.S. specific here, sorry for that, but, but you had the broadcast networks. It wasn't until the 1990s in the United States, at least, that a broadcast network could air their own content, right? So people go back and they look and they say, well, why, why was – uh, a CBS show on NBC and why was uh, an ABC produced show on this other network? It's because they couldn't be both the content creator and the broadcaster. And that was something that was changed through deregulation in the 1990s and allowed these super massive uh, broadcast players to come up. So for instance, right now, Comcast owns uh, NBC and Universal, and I, I don't know how, I, I don't remember the order all of that, but Comcast has Universal and NBC, and the Walt Disney Company has ABC and um, and ESPN and, and, and so many other, other things. And before that time in the 90s, the deregulation, even before the technology started, or, or really because of the technology of cable, things started to change. But you also mentioned that you'd kind of have to be a fool to not understand where these technologies are going. And, you know, I did some preliminary research for this episode, and I'm troubled to say that I think there may be more fools out there in the industry that aren't truly understanding what the consumer wants. So, Christopher, what is it that you think the consumer is looking for this day and age? Yeah, I think they're looking for a few things. One, they're looking for control. You know, the consumer loves the idea of control. They love, I mean, people ate up the DVR when it first was introduced, or, or you know, back in the day, TiVo, or however you want to refer to it, the brand names of the time. People like that, the same way they, they went for VCRs. And you go back to the era of VCR, and all of a sudden it was like, I can tape a show, and I can watch it whenever I want to watch it. 
people love the idea of being able to control when they view. They don't want to be a slave to someone else's schedule. So control is a big part of it. They want to control their viewing choices. They want to control when they watch it and what they watch. Another big part of it is they want to feel they're getting their money's worth. A lot of consumers have felt that the cable industry and the satellite companies held them up over the last decade or so, that they were paying for channels they didn't want. They were paying for programming they never watch. You know, it's, it's pretty commonly known in the industry that you know, $5 roughly of every cable bill and satellite bill goes to ESPN. And, and actually, just an update to that, some new numbers came out. I believe it's um, the new numbers say that it's about $6.40. Uh, the average is $6.40 or so is the U.S. average going to ESPN. And by the way, and I did get clarification on this because I know, Christopher, in, in our professional lives, you and I drop that number a lot, the $5, and it's related to our, our you know day job, so to speak. But when I was clarifying and getting this information, it was over $6 now, and that is only the premium for ESPN. I had, I had always thought that that was ESPN and ESPN2 and ESPNU, but no, those in most cases and most contracts, from what I understand, are separate, uh, separate costs that the cable companies incur per user. So think about that for a minute. $6.40 for ESPN. Now, obviously... Most cable and satellite companies recognize that if they don't carry ESPN, they're going to have a hard time getting subscribers at large and being carried in hotels and whatnot. But think about the consumer for a moment. Think about the individual consumer that is not a sports fan. That consumer, if they have this knowledge, is sitting there going, I'm paying $6.40 for a channel I never watch. And so just the idea, even if it's not true in practice, but just the idea that I only want to pay for what I use comes into play. And again, while it may not necessarily be true in practice, I think a lot of consumers look at streaming services as I'm only paying for what I use. I'm not paying for something else. And as a result, I think it's predispositioned a lot of consumers to want to break away from the cable and satellite companies, almost, I guess you could say, as revenge, if you will, for, for being so beholden to them over the past decades. And I think that's part of it, and we'll, we'll cover two of those issues a little bit later. One, about the return of the a la carte system. I mean, this idea that comes from the 1970s, really, of I'm going to choose what cable package I want and pay for just that. We are starting to see a little bit of that happen now. Uh, specifically, we'll talk about Verizon Fios and their rollout of that. Um, they were kind of uh, unexpectedly... Um, surprised. Uh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing with the results of their custom bundles, but also Comcast um, looking at these types of things of, well, how do we, how do we provide what these customers are wanting in a smaller bundle or in an a la carte bundle? But one of the things that I think uh, when I was mentioning the fools that may exist out there, uh, what I think they may not get is this revenge element that you're bringing up. But people have been, uh, maybe burned. The perception is that people are being burned in their wallet, right? Whether that's true or not is something else we could talk about. Uh, some of the prices of these alternative services that are coming up, but people have that revenge motiv motivation. And so when Comcast comes out with Comcast Stream later this year, and it's only for Comcast Xfinity Internet subscribers, you almost want to throw your hands up and say, "But you don't get the point, right? You don't get the point. You're just targeting your own customers." and milking them for revenue rather than actually providing a quality service that fits the lifestyle of people 
everywhere. And that's that's that kind of comes into play, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, it's that trying to understand the customer. And the other thing with the, the streaming services, and I know we're, we're very much all over the map here, but you also have to recognize that the streaming services themselves that are competing with each other and in some ways are, are diversifying, I guess you could say, are dividing the audience differently. There are people that are quickly becoming very loyal to certain services. They're becoming very loyal to a Netflix or very loyal to a Hulu Plus. Uh, and then you have stuff like you know, Amazon. Uh, and you have these companies that are, are trying to build in, you know, and I think I just named probably the top three right there, Netflix, Hulu Plus, and Amazon Prime, that are offering programming and trying to build you know, a base of loyal subscribers. But at the same time, there's so many of these a la carte services. And you have companies like GoPro, uh, which is a camera company. They have a, a streaming channel now, but it's essentially just an extension of their marketing activities. Uh, yeah, GoPro, and um, you know, one thing I'm I'm kind of going to leave off, and because I think we should start with the the big three you talked about first. One thing I'll leave off is, but I think it's good to bring up from time to time, even though we won't go into length of, uh, about it. Are the, so, for instance, the streaming GoPro channel, or things like Crackle, which yeah, Crackle is Sony's attempt kind of to compete with Netflix and Hulu, but really it's much more of an internet channel, an internet station. Um, maybe a little bit more clear is SCI2, S-C-I-2, the, um, the kind of web-only secondary property to the Science Channel, which is owned by Discovery Communications. Um, those types of channels, right, I, I think I'm going to mitigate those a little bit in favor uh, to start first, right, because we want to classify by the big three, these streaming services, and then talk a little bit about cable and satellite and their evolution of what they're doing now. And also, I kind of want to leave devices out of this as well, like Apple TV and Roku and Fire TV. But at the same time, we kind of have to discuss consoles like PlayStation and Xbox a little bit. But I, I do think Netflix, Amazon Instant Video through Amazon Prime and Hulu Plus are probably really good places to start. Absolutely. And I think Netflix, to most people, when they, when they think streaming, the first thing they think about is Netflix. It's, it's without a doubt, the biggest streaming service right now in the United States, uh, despite not always uh, having the must-have new movies and TV at times. But really, when people talk about cutting the cord, Netflix is usually one of the first things that they line up. Uh, you know, a lot of DVD players, smart DVD players and smart TVs have Netflix apps built in. Sometimes it's, it, there's actually a Netflix button on the remote of the TVs that they're buying now and whatnot. Uh, the biggest problem, I will say, for Netflix uh, is it doesn't offer downloads. So a lot of it is streaming. Uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, a lot of people look at Netflix as, and I, I don't want to draw a comparison, because I don't want people to think that I'm saying Netflix is going to bomb, but some people look at Netflix in a way as like Blockbuster, video was towards the end, where they have the hottest new releases at times, but if you want something a little older, you have trouble finding it. But again, it hosts a lot of exclusives. Um, you know, House of Cards, I believe, aired on Netflix alone right. a couple of years ago. Uh, and the great thing about Netflix, obviously, is it, where, where you can watch it on the device. Again, as you said, we can't avoid the device conversation. Netflix runs not only on your, your smart TV or your smart DVD player. It runs on PC and Mac. It runs on Xbox or PS. Uh, it runs on Amazon Fire. It runs on phones. It runs on Windows phones, Android phones, iOS. 
So Netflix is one of those streaming services, and one of the reasons why I think so many people gravitate to it now is no matter what device, no matter what configuration, if you're a Roku person, Philips, whatever, you can get Netflix. So I think that's one of the reasons is, again, ease of use. You can use it on so many different devices, and it has become the kind of for more, for now at least, Kind of the Coca-Cola of streaming services. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right there. And it's funny. I'm. I'm kind of laughing at this. Coca-Cola. We we reference a lot of things to Coca-Cola on this show. And um, Christopher, I'm not picking on you because you would be. I know you've done it before as well. But um, uh, there have been four people on the show have referenced the Coca-Cola of whatever. So if you listen to the backlog, it's kind of our, it's becoming our running trend, but yeah, you can't go wrong with Netflix. It's a quintessential streaming service. It does run the overlap with Blockbuster, but I think primarily because Netflix is what partially helped Blockbuster, uh, be its own demise. But when we look at Netflix, it's important. Everything you said is so important. It's not just cross, platform. It's also cross form factor. And when we look at some of these new services that don't even allow you to watch on TV, right, that are betting betting on cell phones and tablets so much that they don't even include TV licenses. Well, at least Netflix here at $7.99 a month to start has that right. Um, I I do think a lot of people would kind of invert one thing you said, and specifically you said, okay, you can get new new movies, but it's hard to find older stuff. I think the biggest complaint about Netflix is they're not pushing a lot of new movies or they don't have the legal right to stream those movies. So folks are finding themselves having to go back and upgrade to include the DVD option, which remember – Netflix tried to get rid of and spin off a few years ago uh, to to horrible results, but uh, people are finding themselves having to get the DVD service again on top of the seven ninety nine a month base streaming in order to get some of the newest um, the newest content. Now, when it comes to original content, Netflix is really excelling here. Um, uh, Orange is the New Black, House of Cards. I mean, we could literally keep listing and listing and listing these shows, and, and Netflix is getting into great deals to where not only original run or um, stuff like that, but sometimes they're winning out over broadcast or cable networks for uh, international syndicated runs. So what that means is, you know, maybe something is going to stream on a particular network in Canada, a particular network uh, over somewhere in the EU, and then instead of ABC or whatever picking it up here in the U.S., Netflix is getting the United States rights to those shows. So uh, a lot of innovation there and ingenuity, but yeah, no downloads. You are limited to whatever their library is, no option to um, – uh, it sounds odd saying this, but rent or purchase in excess of their streaming. And if you like a movie and would like to own it, uh, Netflix is not your – not your choice, but again, um, we really are focusing more on streaming. So I guess I, I may not have even needed to bring that up. Well, I think you still need to bring it up because it's part of the overall business model. It's interesting to note. I do know that there have been several cases where uh, Directv and some of the cable companies, the larger ones, have actually tried to work deals with Hollywood studios now, and in the verbiage, get first right to show on demand and on pay-per-view, movies before Netflix, specifically, which just shows that the old guard of cable and satellite see the threat of the streaming services, that they're not putting in the verbiage that they get you know, a window of two weeks to show these movies 
before Netflix gets that. So yeah, they're, they're so, the threat is real. They're so focused on this old model. You know, we can go back in time and say, okay, it used to be first-run theaters and second-run theaters. Then it was the video rental stores, and then it was HBO. Um, uh, pay-per-view may have come before or after HBO, depending on what what the what the license was. And then it would be, you know, the cable networks, and then it'd be finally make it to its Sunday broadcast movie, right? That day of priority is ending when we've seen movies that have been released simultaneously um, for on-demand consumption in any variety and and in the theater. Um, you know, people who want to see it in the theater go see it in the theater, and people who want to watch it at home watch it at home. And I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think we're to the point to where that that old model of you first, then you second, then you third. I don't think that's been disproven yet. But we've got to be pretty quick to to get there. And and you're, you're absolutely right. Netflix does have contracts with certain cable companies um, to where Netflix even puts servers which cache the most frequently used content on site with the cable companies so that then the cable company burden is lessened on their internet bandwidth. They can provide better streaming service to their, their customers and Netflix bird, uh, takes more of the burden of having to control the servers uh, and do that on behalf of the cable and internet companies. So lots of interesting stuff out there that Netflix is doing. But you know, one interesting thing, I'm going to transition to Amazon prime and Amazon instant video here because one thing people don't know, and, and I don't know exactly the full extent to it anymore, but, Netflix used to operate on the Amazon AWS cloud, and I believe they still do at least for the majority of their operations. Now, we're talking Netflix, a service that can be 30 or so percent of peak primetime internet traffic in the United States, and they rely on Amazon. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks say, well, why doesn't Amazon promote Prime and Instant Video more? And I think it's been a slow evolution because they didn't want to alienate Netflix in the early days because Netflix, if they're not Amazon's largest cloud provider, they're pretty damn close. Um, but let's take a look at Amazon Instant Video and Amazon Prime because they have original content too, just like Netflix. It may not be as good. Uh, personally, I watched Alpha House with John Goodman, and I think that's one of the best political comedies I've, I've seen in a long time. So they do have some hits. Uh, but they also carry things like PBS and BBC, which a lot of people care about. But furthermore, they have a big contract with HBO now, and you can get HBO shows, certain shows after they've been moved to DVD set. You can stream those now through Amazon Prime. Uh, but we're talking instead of $7.99 a month, we're talking $99 a year, which really when you do the math, it's about the same price as Netflix on an annual basis. What, $3 more than a year subscription to Netflix? Uh, yeah, whatever it comes out to. But but you do have to remember when you get Amazon Prime, you also get Amazon Music. You also get free two-day shipping or you can get that nice little credit system where you can get relaxed shipping and get uh, Amazon credit for doing that. So you get a lot more. It's just Amazon says, come on in and buy into our entire ecosystem at one low price. Well, and I think that that's a big part because if you look at it, the, the similarities, you know, again, Prime Instant Video is available PC and Mac. It's available on iPads. It's available on PS4s and Xbox One. Any internet-enabled, you know, TV or DVD player, you know, so a lot of devices, you know, much like Netflix, can carry it for you. Uh, you mentioned you know, Amazon has original series, it has Alpha House, it has Transparent. They don't necessarily get as much attention as some of the Netflix ones, but they, they're available. To me, the big differentiator, uh, one is the fact that Amazon has their own set-top boxes, you know, the, the Fire TV stick, Fire TV. 
Right. So that's one difference, obviously. The fact that there's an actual Amazon physical, here's your Amazon Fire TV stick to use. Um, but the big one is what you mentioned, the fact that Prime Instant Video comes standard when you subscribe to Amazon Prime. So it's one of those situations where if you're a person who uses Amazon frequently, you're an Amazon Prime member, it's like, hey, I've already got Amazon Instant Video. It's bundled in with music. And you're right. A lot of people that were already part of that Amazon club that loved Amazon, to them, it, it makes perfect sense. I love Amazon for their free shipping and their cheap prices on products. And now I'm using Amazon Instant Video, and I'm going to buy an Amazon Fire TV stick. And you know, I'm, I'm an Amazon person. So again, the price differential, very, very short. It's just more or less a case of Netflix being the bigger name right now. To me, Amazon and Netflix, very similar in a lot of ways. And the few differences are the things that I just mentioned. They are very similar. And, um, you know, I don't have the confirmation from the inside of Amazon for this. And I would love to get it if anybody uh, is listening to this and has that information and would like to share it with me. Uh, you know, you can email me or call me. But one of the reasons that I believe Amazon hasn't been more vocal about instant video is they were waiting. Uh, my understanding is that they were waiting for Netflix's, uh, Netflix's, I just pluralized it, the Netflix superiority sort of to wear off. Um, to get a little bit more leverage because, of course, if they're your largest cloud you know, customer and that's one of your key business areas, you don't want to cut them off just to promote your own service. But now it seems fairly safe to do it. And I, there is a little bit of a business concern there because where Netflix um, – and, and I hear rumor that Netflix may be raising their price soon. I haven't fully followed through on that rumor yet to research it. But if you're taking a look at Amazon and say, okay, well, the purpose of getting Prime was to free two-day shipping. And then they throw in music and then they throw in instant video and then they do Prime Day, which some people say was a, a horrible failure and other people say, ah, it went okay. Um, and then we give you HBO shows as a part of Prime. It really is a question of, are they really having to do this much to keep people locked into Prime and paying that annual fee? Or is Amazon really just trying to be cutting edge and competitive and say, you know, we can get we can get so much more competitive than other companies because of who we are. Not to make this analogy horrible, but we're the Walmart of the online world. And we can do that. I, I just I'm not sure whether since they are so similar, I'm not sure whether Amazon is quiet because they want to maintain relationships or whether they're quiet because they just kind of, you know, say, we've got this. We're good. I, I, I think it might be a case where they're watching the evolution of the model, knowing they've already got their foothold in place. And if they want to start making waves, they, they easily can. It's oh, they those, can easily. Yeah. You know, I think they're, 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 they're kind of, if I may draw an analogy, they're kind of watching the way the ships are moving. And when they see their opening, they're going to slide right through all of them into the lead. So. so what about the one that's not as potent here? What about Hulu? Hulu Hulu is so interesting because, first of all, Hulu, when it comes to people wanting to cut the cable, this is a big one they go to because, again, you got shows from NBC, Universal, shows from Fox, shows from Comedy Central. But the interesting thing about Hulu is, of course, they have their free ad-supported service. Now, with the ad-supported Hulu, it's totally free. You can only really watch it, though, on laptops and desktops. But, again, it's free, and you have about three minutes of advertising every ten minutes or so, but if you're someone who's come from watching traditional cable or broadcast, you're used to commercials hitting you over the face all the time. 
So for people that are cutting the cable with the idea that they want to save money, you cut the cable, you get Hulu. Yes, you're putting up with the advertising, but you're getting the shows, and you can sit, and you can watch them on your desktop, your laptop, and and whatnot. And you, if you can hook up your television, you know, you, you get it that way. Now, if you're willing to pony up the the $7.99 a month for Hulu Plus, then you're able to access Hulu on any device. You're able to get full seasons of shows, whereas the the free service only gives you the last four or five or six episodes, depending on the show. And you also get a lot more older content. Now, it's an interesting business model only because if you believe that TV viewers care more about the current episodes and not about going back in time, some people would say Hulu is really giving away the best stuff on their free site. They're giving you the most recent episodes for free, and you can catch them and watch them in your home. They're banking on people wanting the convenience of being able to watch it on all of their devices, and they're banking on people wanting to be able to binge watch a whole season and wanting to go back and, and get into that archived content. And they're banking on people inevitably wanting to skip the commercials. So it's an interesting business model with them because essentially they're giving away a lot of good stuff on the free site if you're willing to put up with those ads and watch it on a limited number of devices. They're making money off the advertising there, which is, again, a more traditional model for television, if you will. But right. then they've also got the Hulu Plus, watch it on all your devices, access more archived content, and skip the ad. So well, in, in, in Hulu Plus, you can't – not everything can you skip the ads, right? There's still ad-supported content even well, after sponsored And we should point out there are sponsored shows. Too. Right. Um, you know, I think you and I are, are in perfect agreement with this one, and I think Hulu is, has been the hardest for – the public to understand and get their minds around, right? But I have a note here to myself that basically says what you're saying. And my note is Hulu is great for broadcast shows without a DVR, right? So why would you pay for a broadcast show? Why wouldn't you just buy a DVR and use the the modern form of bunny ears and, 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 and let's make the thing work? Well, believe it or not, a lot of people have cable just to make sure that their signal quality for broadcast is spot on perfect and never interrupted right there are some people who actually have local channel only packages from cable companies now um, i i did a review of my own cable usage recently and i found that surprisingly i use more uh, or i spend more time on broadcast networks than i actually do cable channels and that was disturbing to me because one i'm paying so much for it right but if you like the shows that are on broadcast and you don't want to have to deal with buying a DVR. You don't want to have to deal with getting a, a cable subscription for it. Hulu's really great for you because not only can you go back and, and use it sort of as an on-demand service or, or what some cable companies call look back, right? A lot of cable companies say, all right, the last three or four episodes of any show will let you watch on demand at any time because you pay us for this. We can also get that from Hulu. Now, on most of the websites like Fox and NBC and CBS, you can also get uh, the last couple of episodes. But remember that Hulu was started by a conglomerate of several of these American broadcast networks. So again, if you're looking for broadcast shows, it's great. Original content they have, but it is extremely subpar for most of their original content. Um, but Hulu is trying to differentiate a little bit here. And I, I didn't know this until I did research because honestly, I haven't followed Hulu 
uh, unless I've needed to grab a show and watch it quick and didn't want to deal with my, I still have cable, so I didn't want to deal with my DVR or my look back feature. I didn't realize that Hulu was also selling access to Showtime, uh, the um, Showtime streaming service for $8.99 a month in addition to your Hulu Plus. So if you get Hulu Plus for $7.99, you can spend an additional $8.99 a month and get Showtime. And I, I think that's really innovative. Um, I'm not sure that Showtime is the best place to go. We'll see them pop up again in, in another conversation, but um, that's it's it's nice to have if you're a if you're a cord cutter. Yeah, and and I don't know if you, we want to do we want to move on to a couple of the the dark horses in this race now. Yeah, yeah, go for it. So I, I think a couple of them very different. The three I'm thinking about one is Sling TV. Absolutely. Okay. Sling TV, it's a live TV streaming. It's from Dish. Um, there's no contracts, no equipment, no no big bill at the end of the month. Um, but the interesting thing about that is people have gotten used to that ability to pause live TV or watch something that, you know, kind of record it. They, they tend to gravitate towards Sling. And, you know, for 20 bucks a month, Sling gives you 13 channels that you may have grown accustomed to as a cable viewer. I think it's 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 grown a few more than 13. I think 13 is what they launched with, but absolutely, they, they're, they're even growing that core package. And that core package includes ESPN, includes TBS and TNT, includes uh, Disney Channel. And those includes, that's the big one there, right? ESPN, Disney Channel for Families, TNT, like you mentioned, A&E, AMC. Without those, there wouldn't be interest in this. Sling, uh, which again, as you mentioned from Dish, they're doing an amazing job with this. And the other thing is, and again, this goes back to that paying for what you want. So for 20 bucks a month, you get that, that package. But then they have other packages, add-on packages available at a, you know five bucks, whatever it is, a month now. They have a kids package with more kids channels. They have a sports package for, for the sports fans. They have a news package with several different news and, and lifestyle channels. Again, it's available, iOS, Android, it's on Amazon, it's on Xbox, Roku TV. You know, it's available in a lot of things. Now, there's some limitations with it. You can only use it on one device at a time. Um, and some would say the content-to-dollar ratio at $20 a month isn't the same as, as the big boys that we were just talking about. But again, you're getting those cable channels that you were accustomed to. So if you're someone who's leaving cable and satellite but doesn't want to give up ESPN doesn't want to give up TBS and TNT the way you've known them. This is your out. This is what you're looking at. And and I think Sling. And this is one of the only ones other than you know the core three that we were just talking about. Anything that we bring up in the future, I, I may not have tried. But Sling, I I, I did go through. Um, I think about uh, a month or a month and a half with them. And the big thing when you ask a lot of people of of what keeps you tied to cable, they bring up ESPN. Even though we talked about you know what it costs for a cable operator or, or dish in this case to keep ESPN as a part of the package, you get ESPN um, base and I think ESPN2 as a part of the base package and then you can add that sports package on like you talked about. Uh, you know if you're if you're in a bilingual family, Spanish and English, Sling has some of the best uh, Spanish language. Uh, options and packages that exist in the cord cutting market. Uh, there are some downsides to sling a little bit, right? The, the app quality 
is pretty poor. It's a basic application. And one thing that I think if you're if you're cutting the cord and you've never used alternative services before, when you start going into these services that are meant to not potentially augment uh, uh, television, like Netflix can augment television uh, much more than replace it. But when you get into these replacement services, it can be a little bit of a shock. Uh, and what I mean by that is Sling TV tries to offer a lot of features that you're used to. So if you go on to a particular network, it'll ask, uh, you know, do you want to watch any of these previous shows that have been on anywhere from the past four hours to the past two days in some cases? It's almost like a built-in cloud DVR to where anything that's been broadcast on these networks you can watch, but that's not every network and that's not every show. And in fact, on Sling TV, you'll actually still find a few uh, programming blocks where you'll turn to the channel. Maybe you turn to history or A&E, and I'm not sure which specific ones do this, but I'll use those as examples and make it up as I go. When you turn to the channel, you'll actually get a message that says that that content that's being streamed is not licensable through Sling. So you essentially kind of get a dead channel while that particular show is on. Now, granted, that's not frequent, but even in a month of light casual use in addition to my cable subscription, just kind of laying around in bed on the tablet watching it or, or watching it on my phone, I did encounter a, a number of times, even in that month and month and a half, where it was, okay, I want to watch this show, I tap on it, and, you know, sorry, you hit whammy, it's not going to happen. Uh, the other upside, though, I don't want to end on a low note with them, and, and I want to hand it back over to you in just a moment, but Sling TV, along with Apple, was the f one of the first to offer HBO. Now, they're not offering HBO Go like your cable companies do. They're offering the product HBO Now, which is slowly rolling out. It's uh, with Apple and Sling right now and a, and a couple of cable companies. I think there's one called Optimus or something like that. Uh, it's coming out on, on Google and Chrome uh, kind of as we speak. But you can add HBO on for $15 a month, which is HBO Now's regular monthly subscription if you go separate and just get it straight from HBO. But Sling really is the most unique. If we compare this effort from Dish as opposed to what we'll talk about in just a moment from Comcast or Verizon, Sling is the closest to being a cable alternative. Agreed. Now, now and of course, mentioning cable... Well, most people mention cable, they mention HBO, and you already kind of touched upon HBO Now and HBO Go. Uh, HBO Go, of course, was you know a, a members-only club where you had to be a paying cable subscriber, you know, and that that was the whole kind of catch was similar to ESPN's Watch ESPN app. But now HBO Now, HBO, you know, basically further dipping their foot in the pool of a standalone service to offer their programming. Again, this goes back to that whole idea of the a la carte world. Are, are you interested enough in HBO's programming that you would be willing to pay for HBO's programming by itself and not get anything else with it? Uh, and, of course, people pay additional fees for HBO programming now on their cable and satellite bills. So obviously some people are more than willing to. Well, but um, we, know, we know that cable and satellite don't get it. And I'll give an example because when HBO Now was first rolling out, and you can hear, I have an Xbox One, and we'll talk about Xbox One and PlayStation in a little bit. But what people were doing is saying, okay, well, I'll go through an Apple device, and I'll sign up for HBO Now, and then I'll run it on my Xbox, which you could perfectly do just fine from what I hear. The thing is, HBO standalone or as an add-on to Sling or some of these other services that allow it is $15. 
my cable company at the same time was charging me $20 a month for HBO. And it's kind of like, you know, you're left scratching your head and thinking, well, why wouldn't I go get this directly from them anyway, even if I do have cable? So, you know, I'm saying Dish is the closest to understanding it, and I think they are. But, yeah, when you bring HBO into the equation, it is just a real quagmire. It is, and it's going to be interesting. I mean, this, the whole a la carte standalone is going to be a big uh, push point, I think, in negotiations between cable channels and, you know, content providers because cable channels are not looking to essentially carry a channel and basically end up advertising their standalone content so they lose the subscriber later. So well, there's going to be a lot of push-pull there. It's interesting that you bring that up because one of the topical stories that we have for this, uh, this segment is Verizon Fios. So about a quarter ago, Verizon Fios, which is um, – I don't know if anybody else has followed Fios like I have. It's it's a cable competitor. The idea is it's running over advanced telephone communication lines, hence being Verizon. Um, amazing service. Um, in the local area here in Central Florida, I know they're fully rolled out in the Tampa area. And of the folks I know who have it, I mean, it's um, prices can be a little bit high, but its service is amazing and smooth and fast as, as opposed to a cable box. But they rolled out custom bundles, and this was kind of sort of a halfway a la carte, halfway small package. And what happened is Verizon has come out recently and said that they are expecting a hit in their revenue growth because of this service. So what ended up happening is over the past quarter or so, Verizon Fios acquired approximately 26,000 new customers, right? That's the, about the regular growth rate from what I understand. One third of all of those new customers opted for these custom bundles rather than for their regular packages. Now, one-third they did not expect. So they're actually saying, here's what our projected growth was. Here's what our revenue growth was as a result of that. We launched this new product to get hopefully additional people who weren't paying for all of that. And what's ended up happening is one-third of new customers have said, nope, just give me the custom bundles. Here's what I want. And even some of the existing customers who are not in their contract cycle, because the bad thing about Fios is, is they haven't learned. They still have contracts over on Fios. Uh, but the people who were able to change uh, actually downgraded in a certain percentage that Verizon is not releasing. So uh, people really said, we want these custom bundles. They then surprised Verizon by not choosing as many channels as Verizon thought they would choose. And, and again, they didn't quite release those numbers yet. I'll be looking for them. Uh, but also a, a, a number of their existing customers downgraded to the point to where Verizon had to come out and say, listen, folks, our projected targets uh, are probably wrong. We have a potential revenue issue in the future that our growth is going to be stalled or slowed. And that is a sign that these companies don't get it, I think. The companies don't get it, and, and again, it goes back to the, the scrambling and the trying to understand positioning. Um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about consoles and, and Xbox and PlayStation, but before we do that, I just got to give a little shout-out here, because we made fun of Crackle before, and I have to tell you, I love Crackle, and, and I know what people are thinking, but, but it's standard definition, you know, they rotate their movies, and one month you can get like an old classic you know, uh, movie, and most of the time it's just really crappy, bad 90s movies that would have been direct-to-home video if you still had video stores and, and old TV series. But there is a segment of the population, and I'm part of them, I like cheesy bad movies. 
I like cheesy bad movies that you never find on Netflix. You never seem to find them on even Amazon. And I'm a fan of old TV series that weren't big hits, that weren't huge, that weren't in the last 10, 20 years. You know, and places like Crack will give them those. But another place gives me those shows too, and, and I, we really should mention this talk about streaming. There's this little thing called YouTube out there. Yes. And we have to point this out because this is huge. Now, obviously, YouTube is, you know, video blogger heaven. Anybody can put content on it. People put content on it constantly. Good, bad, and ugly. It's all on there. People lots of ugly. Old, lots of ugly. But think about this for a minute. I, I believe the, the stat still holds true. Every day, the equivalent of eight years of footage is uploaded on YouTube. Now, granted, I have no desire to watch some kids, you know, filming the, the, the schoolyard fight or somebody's 30-minute video blog about, you know, you know, why they're lonely or something like that. But mixed in with all that garbage... There are some true gems to be found on YouTube. And for someone, again, like me, who's a weirdo, who likes bad movies or likes old horror films or things like that, and horror films is a great example. Well, first of all, Christopher, they're lonely because you're not watching their YouTube channel. I mean, let's put that out there. But I do have to admit... Or or because we're being mean to Britney. Don't forget that one. Right. I do have to admit, though, I, I really like Crackle. I picked on them, but I do really like. But I view that much more as sort of an internet cable or an internet channel, right? I know they're a service. I know they have movies, but I really view that what Sony has there is much more of what a channel would look like in the internet age rather than a, uh, you know, a full service. It is because of obviously the level of content, the amount of content. But with YouTube, the interesting thing about that is, and again, you know I'm a big fan of old horror films. There are a lot of horror films that were hard to ever find on DVD. You're not going to find them on any of the major streaming services at this point. A lot of cases, they're not even owned. They're owned you know, they were released by 20 different companies. The copyright wasn't done properly, so nobody's actually profiting for them. They're in the public domain sometimes. You'll find these movies on YouTube. You'll find TV shows on right. YouTube. You'll find clips. And because YouTube has that mix of user-created content, people uploading these old movies and old TV shows, and... Current TV shows, I mean, shows like The Tonight Show, are constantly putting their clips up on YouTube to promote the episodes and whatnot. So you end up with this really amazing hodgepodge of content. And I know a lot of people, since we're talking about you know streaming here, a lot of people who have cut the cable, and they go to YouTube as almost their number one television, if you will, entertainment source now. So I, just, I had to give a little shout-out to YouTube and Crackle, mostly because I like Crackle, but to YouTube especially, because a lot of people are using that for their entertainment before we start talking about uh, consoles. Well, you know, and I'm with you there, and I, I think that's a good point. YouTube really does deserve to be on this list, and it is on most lists. If you Google this topic and see what other people have written up, they typically do put YouTube on there. Um, but, yeah, it is kind of a footnote to the angle we're talking about, so I'm glad you brought it up. Crackle, I'm with you. I have a secret love for that. I mean, Sports Jeopardy and the odd movies that you can find on there. Um I'm trying to remember if they had original programming. I don't think they did, but um, really interesting take from Sony of this completely free thing with a few ads. We should also point out, I'm not an anime or manga person, but Crunchyroll, if you're into anime, Crunchyroll is a big streaming site that um, 
some people know it because it originally started just as a uh, piracy streaming service, but they've evolved into legitimacy and have a lot of anime. Um, I'm going to speed up a little bit now and just finish with the uh, cable and, and satellite companies before doing the last little bit on consoles. Uh, in fact, you know what? Let's go ahead and cut Comcast stream. I was going to talk about it. They were just announced. Uh, but the problem with Comcast offering this stream service, which, by the way, that's what they're calling it, stream. How inventive. It's like a 1990s bar named Bar. Um, they're offering this, but it's only to Xfinity Internet customers. It's $15 a month. It's a limited set of channels. It doesn't work on the television, only on devices. Um, it's got a couple of city rollout, Boston, Chicago, then Seattle. They're not going to be Comcast-wide until 2016. I mean, yeah, you can buy HBO with it, but it's it's more of – it's even worse than this Verizon Fios custom bundle. It's Comcast not getting it, that I don't want to pay you an additional $15 so that my – you know, family can watch a subset of shows on mobile devices only when you're already hooking me for internet. But, um, so we'll save that one for maybe a revisit of this topic since they haven't even done anything with that yet. It's just in a beta test right now for select customers. Uh, when it comes to the consoles, um, Xbox One, one of the purposes of the device was to be the hub in the living room. And what happened was gamers revolted. And we see that in sales of the Xbox One console. But what a lot of people may not know is that Microsoft was partnered with Intel Uh while the Xbox One was being developed. And the, initially, right at the launch of Xbox One or immediately after, Intel was supposed to roll out their streaming television service. Well, what ended up happening was the partnership between Microsoft and Intel is always spotty at best. And Intel was approached by Verizon. Uh, and Verizon offered to purchase the technology. Uh, I believe Intel had put, I want to say, about 150 to $200 million into development of this streaming service. It was a ridiculously – Intel invests ridiculously large amounts, and it was no different than you know when they did uh, car in-dash investments to the tune of $400 million. Uh, or when they did investments in new chip processes to the tune of billions of dollars. So they put several hundred million dollars into this, and Verizon just bought it out to say, nope, you know, we finally got the right to compete against cable. And so Xbox One has been kind of mitigated except for relying on Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and Sling and all of these others. But what we have on PlayStation, on the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation 4, is PlayStation View. The problem, though, and I'm going to jump immediately into a problem, if you'll forgive me for doing that, is I cannot figure out, unless you're really just a diehard gaming enthusiast and want to say, I'm so pro Sony and I, I have PlayStation View, I cannot figure out why anybody would buy this service because, quite frankly, you're going to pay as much, if not more, than your cable company if you were to buy a bundle. right? So their basic level is about 50 channels or so, and it's $50 a month. Now, add that uh, you're going to buy high-speed internet if you're a person who's going to have a PlayStation 3 or 4 and buy television service at $50 a month through your console. You're probably going to buy some high-speed bandwidth and add those prices together. It's going to be better in a bundle. You can move up to 70 or more channels for, for $60 a month, 85 or more channels. They're elite level for $70 a month. But here, here's the thing I have against it. I know I'm going to be flamed like crazy online for this, but the problem I have with PlayStation View 
Right. I don't even have to say the problem I have with Xbox One because their idea, their trust in Intel, it never materialized. They have nothing except these third parties. Well, with PlayStation View, not only are you spending as much as cable, um, sure, they have a cloud-based DVR, but that only lasts 28 days. Anything you record, you only get for 28 days and then it's gone. They have no ABC affiliate, so you can get NBC and CBS, but no ABC, no CW, no Disney Channel even. And they're only in a couple of markets like Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, New York, and, and Philadelphia. You can add on Showtime. I said Showtime would pop up again. Like you can add Showtime on Hulu for eight ninety nine uh, through PlayStation View. You can get it for ten ninety nine, or I think if you do subscribe to PlayStation View, you can get a discount and get it for the same eight ninety nine as you could from Hulu. But again, fifty, sixty, seventy dollars a month for these cable, uh, these channel packages. Again, maybe somebody with a PlayStation can educate me, but why? Why wouldn't you just bundle cable and save money? Bundle your internet, bundle your, bundle your cable and phone. Um, I really – I just don't see the fiscal advantage to cutting cable to buy something just as expensive. No, it, it is. And again, it, it all revolves back, as so many things do, to the consumer feeling like they're getting their money's worth. And I, I just to tie up a, a bunch of points here, again – the consumer wants control. The consumer wants to feel like they're getting things they want. They're paying for what for what they really want. They're not paying for things they're never going to use. And they don't want to feel like they're being cheated out of things. And I think that's a big issue there. People are going to look at that and go, well, I'm not getting everything I wanted. I'm feeling a little cheated with this system. And, and that's what it comes down to. I, I think with all these choices, you know, and it, again, another big factor is to all of this is becoming so much more user-friendly than what it once was. Um, you know, people are less intimidated by the Roku stick and the Apple Fire stick than they were the idea of wires from my computer to my TV uh, or using a gaming system. Again, you have a, a generation, you know, obviously not our generation, the generation's older than us, who the idea of buying a gaming system to watch television, that just seems weird. So, but again, all of that's changing. It's becoming more user-friendly. People want control, and people want to feel they're getting their money's worth. And, again, while Netflix is the hot name in streaming right now, Amazon Prime, again, I, I have to feel that if I had to put, a, put money down on which of the current streaming services are going to end up causing more and more people to cut the cable in the future, my money tends to go on Amazon Prime at this point. I, I can see that, and I, I think now is a pretty good time to end on a high note. Hopefully I wasn't too depressing or down on PlayStation View. Like I said, I know I'm going to be flamed left and right online for that, but but show me the error of my ways if I'm wrong on that. Tell me why it's such a good value. But I think we can end on a high, night no, high note knowing that we've covered most everything that's out there right now, at least that's really worth mentioning, that we know there's some stuff we can talk about in the future. We'll see how this Fios debacle rolls out as they, um, you know, what it, what does ultimately end up happening to the revenue? How does Comcast do with this quite silly seeming stream idea? Um, again, not to be too down on them. It's just, um, I think we've established that there are certain core services, HBO, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, that are doing okay. Crackle, right? We both like Crackle. We found that out. I'm sure others do as well. But in the future, we may be able to get back together and, and have some really interesting conversations with this. Not only what ends up happening as a result of these services doing what they're doing, but maybe just to kick back one day and, and imagine as a consumer – 
what does the ideal service look like? Because one of the ways that we talk about technology and social media and, and revamping traditional media, sometimes the best angle to do, and we can do this in the future, is just to kick back and say, okay, if I'm the customer, what is it I want? And reinvent around that. So I think that's something we could we could look at in the future. Absolutely. Again, and this is one of those evolving topics that I'm sure when we revisit, uh, a lot will have changed, and I'm sure you know some new contenders will emerge as well. It'll be real interesting, and of course, seeing the reaction that the old guard of satellite and cable has. You know, it's adapt or die time, as it often is in technology. That is. We'll see what they do. Christopher, thank you for joining me today. I'll see you in a couple of weeks, and we'll uh, we'll revisit this topic at some point in the near future, hopefully. My pleasure, as always. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to Multi-New Media. This episode is coming to an end, but the conversation is just beginning. Visit multinewmedia.com to comment on and converse about this episode and be sure to connect with us via social media on Facebook and Twitter. Our email address is feedback at multinewmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Until next time, take care.